Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast with me, Matt Chorley, bringing you the best of my Times Radio show Monday to Thursday, 10 till 1. Oh my God. Goodness, is grim, isn't it? So we, we did a whole half an hour, actually, today of uh, a sort of coffee break where we just talked about nice things with nice people, which we may well bring you on a future episode of the podcast. But there's an awful lot of political fallout from Boris Johnson's announcement at the weekend that England is heading into a lockdown. So that's what I thought we would bring you on today's episode of the Red Box podcast. Let's turn our attention now to coronavirus. This Downing Street political operation, which believes everything can be solved with a three-word slogan. There was... Take back control. Then there was... Get Brexit done. We even got... Hands, face, space. But on Saturday night, Boris Johnson's Downing Street came up against an altogether more powerful trio of words. Strictly come down, sir. Yes, some 14 million people tuned into the Prime Minister's Address to the Nation. Uh, Many could not wait for the distraction of sequins and glitter that came immediately afterwards. The only politician they really wanted to see on telly on Saturday was Jackie Smith clomping about while Anton Dubeck's pained smile was tested to its limits. Poor old Anton. Uh, Among those glued to the TV, though, were Conservative MPs and ministers. Even some of those in the Cabinet were caught off guard by the Prime Minister as he announced a four-week national lockdown for England from Thursday. How was it, they wondered, the government which only announced its three-tier system barely a fortnight earlier and had stridently ruled out the circuit breaker called for by Labour as a disaster was suddenly announcing just that. Now, nobody doubts that this virus is a dangerous, unpredictable and destructive force. But what many are wondering is why this number 10 seems uniquely capable of making every bad situation worse. Well, I'm joined now by Stephen Swinford, The Times Deputy Political Editor. Morning, Steve. Morning, Matt. Now, over the weekend, you and I have been in touch with lots of uh, Conservatives, possibly dozens between us, Tory MPs, ministers, cabinet ministers, but mostly speaking off the record, because sometimes we find out slightly more from them. Uh, So what we're going to do um, now is bring a flavour of what they've been saying to uh, to us. They've been voiced by, we'll say actors... Uh, we'll leave you to judge the quality of the acting, in the hope, but we we think we the hope of bringing bringing to you what they've been uh, telling us. Before we listen to them, Steve, what is the value of off the record quotes? They enable people to be candid in a way that they can't be if they went public. If people said some of the things we're about to hear publicly with their names on the record, then they would lose the whip and their careers as MPs would come to a very early end. And it gives us a real insight into where the party is and how people genuinely are feeling about things. And and without it, we wouldn't be able to get a lot of the stories that we do get. OK, let's listen to a block now of some of the things that uh, Tory MPs Tory backbenchers uh, was telling us over the weekend. Grim, grim, grim. Can't believe we're headed back into lockdown, but I suppose it has to be done. At least the furlough scheme will be extended. That makes it slightly less of a disaster. And the fact that this new shutdown has an end date is also some comfort, but the situation feels pretty bleak. So that's the first one. Let's listen to the next one. 
I'm not convinced Boris can win any vote on these restrictions without Labour votes. Our backbenchers are well picked. And another one. Despair. Willing the government to succeed, but increasingly bewildered. And there was a general sense of, like, how did the Prime Minister get into this uh, mess? Uh, but having got into, you know, the, the cases rising and all of that, there was a sense of inevitability about the whole thing. An inevitable decision, given the advice. Extremely concerned about economic damage now. He will be toughly questioned on Monday. And then uh, this last one from a former minister. Shambolic. Rudderless ramblings. Constituents getting in touch, furious or in tears. Well, sum that lot up, Steve. <laughs> I mean, it's a pretty grim old uh, uh, thing. They, they can't quite believe they ended up in this situation. Uh, backbenchers not happy, uh, I think it's fair to say. It's really grim. And what's interesting is that today some of the on-the-record quotes are getting close to some of the off-the-record quotes. Uh, so, so Graham Brady, the leader of the 1922 committee, last night compared the new lockdown to a form of evil that we would be condemning if it was implemented by a totalitarian government. So feelings are running very, very high. And to one extent, the rebellion that's coming, we're expecting about 40 Tory MPs to rebel on Wednesday, um, it doesn't matter to an extent because Labour is going to back the government and it will get through on Labour votes. But for the Prime Minister, it's a real party management problem. And he is having to drag his backbenchers kicking and screaming through and into this second lockdown. And it will create more and more problems down the line as it goes. I mean, is, uh, one of the things that came up quite a lot is is why the government ended up in this situation of being so anti the, uh, the the circuit breaker that um, Keir Starmer talked about, only to end up announcing it themselves. I think it was clearly a, a political error. So they went very hard at Labour. Boris Johnson and all of the Conservative Party mounted a series of attacks accusing him of political opportunism for asking for a circuit breaker. And now, inevitably, they are in the position of having to ask for it themselves. In Downing Street, they wonder how much the fallout will be from this. They think that actually... The public understands the need for it when you look at some of the statistics that are out there, which are contested, but some of the statistics that are out there are very grim about hospitalisations, uh, some of the warnings we're going to hear this afternoon from the Prime Minister in Parliament, and they think the public gets that. Um, but nonetheless, it's the party is in a real state at the moment. OK, let's listen. One of the things that came up um, <laughs> during my Saturday night while I was watching Strictly and my phone was lighting up with messages and phone calls was um, they keep referring to Suez. This is, this is Boris Johnson's <laughs> Suez. Explain for people who haven't got their history to hand what that means. Well, this was the, the Suez stuff which led to the resignation of Anthony Eden, right, very famously. And, and it was just we were also hearing about, most interestingly, from ministers, serving ministers who are in the pay of government, who are saying they think Boris is damaged and it's time for Rishi Sunak. So, yeah. Well, let's, in fact, let's take a listen to that. So this was a former minister, what he told me. He's on borrowed time, totally inept. Borrowed time? How is it? It's not even a year since Boris Johnson won that election. 80-seat majority. And this is a long-serving, relatively loyal former government minister saying the Prime Minister's now on borrowed time. I think, realistically, they know that he's got an 80-strong majority, that he probably isn't on borrowed time, but it is a, it, it symbolises the kind of anger in the party with Boris and his handling on this and these constant kind of flip-flops on different issues. Well, let's take a listen to what another uh, Tory, I think, told you. I think Rishi Sunak is going to have to take over. Boris's brand is being trashed every day. Is that realistic, do you think? 
Not now, and I don't think Rishi Sunak wants the job, quite frankly. Um, <laughs> I don't, it's pretty grim over in the Treasury. They are looking, staring down the barrel of, of, of huge job losses. And there's also one big worry in the background, Matt, which is how long will this lockdown go on for? So at the moment, it's a four-week, 28-day lockdown, which is scheduled to come to an end on December the 2nd. At that point, it can be renewed, as Michael Gove helpfully pointed out on Andrew Marr at the weekend. Um, and talking to cabinet ministers yesterday, some of them were suggesting that they think it could go on into the new year with a brief relaxation around Christmas. Some were less optimistic. They said that if the R rate hasn't gone down by Christmas, all bets are off. Um, but you'll get into a situation where people just take the rules into their own hands. I'm, I'm... Yeah, but completely. And I, think, I had an exchange with one cabinet minister last night, but I was saying, well, how is this not a circuit breaker? And they said, although this is a fixed end date, the exit measures will be local or regional. So the time and extent of relaxation could and probably will vary, which sounds awfully like Manchester and Liverpool spending weeks and weeks and months uh, in these uh, um, lockdown uh, situations. There's also real unhappiness actually um, within the government. So let's take a listen to what some current ministers were telling us. Uh, This was um, one government minister who's normally an ally, it has to be said, of the prime minister, despairing at the way all this emerged. The science seems sound. But the comms in the lead-up to this was shocking. What's the point in having a tight, intimate decision-making group when it leaks like a sieve? Now, I won't ask who the leaks were, uh, Steve, because you were on the receiving end of some of them <laughs> on uh, on Friday. But just explain how all this leaked out and how we ended up in this extraordinary situation with the Prime Minister sort of bumping little mix off the Saturday night schedules. So um, on Friday evening, we were in the run-up to going off stone, which is when the papers kind of put to bed. And I had uh, someone got in touch with me and said, actually, this is much worse than you're being told and that you can expect the lockdown next week. I put in a few more calls and it was true. And we wrote it right on edition. So the first time for many members of the cabinet when they actually learned that we were going into lockdown this week was when they picked up the Times or saw the Times that evening when it was on Twitter. Um, And that caused chaos in Downing Street, (laughs) total chaos. It forced the Prime Minister to bring forward his press conference to Saturday. It was due to be held on Monday. And it... um, robbed them of of a lot of the opportunity to kind of do expectation management within the party. If you look at that quad meeting, so that was Boris Johnson, Michael Gove, Rishi Sunak and Matt Hancock on Friday where this decision was taken, some of the warnings in there were incredibly stark. They were hearing experts talking about mass graves needing to be dug to accommodate the dead because the hospitals would be overrun. And I think that with more of that, with more actually of like lifting the lid on the data, lifting the lid on what the experts were saying, they'll be able to take Tory MPs and the public with them, which will diminish the rebellion some, somewhat. We heard Steve Baker looks like he's on the cusp of supporting the government over this, and he's one of the biggest lockdown sceptics there is. Um, but it's a real management problem for them. If you like what you're hearing, you can listen to the whole of my Times radio show. Either listen back on the Times Radio app, or you can listen live Monday to Thursday, 10 till 1. We'll have more on the episode after this. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Ready to pop the question? 
The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. I was I picked up an awful lot of, of skepticism as well, though, and cynicism about the uh, the warnings, the advice, and the scary charts from Chris Whitty and Patrick Valance. In part because, you know, it was only three weeks ago they were telling us that we should be doing the three-tiered system, and there is this sort of slight feeling the Prime Minister being um well let's take in fact let's take a listen. This is another government minister uh, talking about the Prime Minister. He's been overrun by the virus and by his advisers. Nasty. They misunderstood the parliamentary party, and above all, they are totally, totally sh**. Over the last week, with the row over free school meals and this, I think we've lost the next election. Well, I, I shared that uh, quote on uh, social media this morning because we'd written it up um, for the paper today, and lots of people pointing out, why is anybody even worrying about the general election? Uh, we should be, you know, focusing on the task in hand. But there is this sort of slight feeling that this Downing Street has always got that eye on the polls and the next election and, you know, while also, you know, trying to do planning reforms and defence reforms. and You know, this is such a massive, massive thing. Just doing the right thing might actually do them better in the long term. They are fighting on many, many fronts. When you talk to kind of some of the older hands in government about the strategy and where we're going, they say, we expect Keir Starmer to consistently have a poll lead over us next year. That is normal for a government at this time, and it is normal for an opposition to take a lead. And they reckon that come, you know, the general election next time, if they are within kind of touching distance of Starmer in the polls, that will be a good thing and they can win it from there. So there is a like longer, broader look at this. And I think that many of the U-turns that governments get condemned for, people are actually more understanding of during a coronavirus crisis because it's their health and well-being at stake. There is, though, the, the uh, impact it's having on the, the government's reputation for competence. Let's hear from one more minister. The incompetence is another level. I- I'm genuinely interested. Is this deliberate? A deliberate destruction of the Tory party? People only vote for us because they think we don't care but are competent. Lose the competence and we're f- We've lost the competence. And we're f- And that's a big problem, isn't it? Once, Even if people think they ended up in the right place in the end on a lockdown, and the polls suggest that the public support uh, a second lockdown, 
the general sense that this is an operation which doesn't really know what it's doing, is buffeted by events, is a bit all over the place. And once you get that reputation, it's hard to claw back. It's very hard to claw back. You know, the brand is damaged, as people have been telling us repeatedly. Um, I think for the government, they will be hoping to get back on the front foot with stuff around vaccines we're going to hear more about. I think that today we may even hear more about mass testing. They're looking at the army conducting mass testing in several northern towns where everyone will be given tests, whether they have coronavirus or not. And they see that as the kind of key to unlocking uh, lockdown itself. But it is all very, very grim news at the moment. And as Jonathan Van Tam put it, the Deputy Chief Medical Officer last week, we have lost control of the virus. And what's the mood this morning in number 10? The mood this morning is they are going to try to go on the offensive. Boris Johnson is going to hold, lot, he is holding today lots of kind of small meetings with Tory MPs, Tory rebels that are flanked by the experts. Um, I, I think they just see we've got to do it there's no choice but to act. So, OK, maybe we've made mistakes before when we went in on Starmer so hard about the lockdown. But right now, looking at the data, we don't have a choice. It is interesting. When they're saying we've just got to do it, it's like other people were telling them you've just got to do it a few yeah. weeks ago. Uh, we should also just mention as well, Boris Johnson's pulled out of an appearance at the CBI conference. It's normally a big thing. The Prime Minister, the leader of the opposition, they normally all give speeches there. He's basically pulled out that in part to try and win over some Tory MPs. Exactly. The problem in front of him is bigger and, and Boris Johnson is, is known to be no fan of the CBI at the best of times anyway. I think he will do some kind of video address for them later in the week. Alok, Star, Alok Sharma went instead of him this morning. Um, so, But there is an issue with businesses because you've got huge job losses coming. One cabinet minister said it is a jobs disaster um, and businesses are under real strain and they're not getting the messages that they want from the, the government. It's no, no sense of calm. That's Stephen Swinford there, the uh, Deputy Political Editor of The Times. Now, I've been uh, speaking to James Frame, who's an ally of Dominic Cummings. His firm, Public First, carried out polling for the government in the early stages of the pandemic. He thinks this is a real moment of danger for the government. I think there's a uh, huge political risk in all of this. I mean, as I've been saying for a good few weeks now. I think you should, people need to just junk the polling. It just doesn't reflect, I think, the deeper realities of public opinion, where there's, it's clear there's, there's growing frustration with the continued lockdown. I think people feel probably much savvier than they did during the first wave. By that, I mean, they think they know who um, the, policy, uh, the uh, virus affects. They think they know how they can avoid it themselves. You know, there's much more questioning thing of, of policy than there was before and I think people are starting to question for the first time whether or not a national lockdown is needed rather than something which was region either regional or perhaps sector specific within uh, the within the economy or society so people are picking over this much more than than they were in the past I think the the big question for the government the, the big problem that the government's gonna have to wrestle with now is, is ultimately a question of competence so the government has been saying for uh, many weeks, didn't want to go into a national lockdown. A national lockdown would be a disaster. And here we are yet again. And then, you know, only the day after the, the national lockdown is announced, we get um, Michael Gove on the TV saying that it could go on even longer than a month. And there is just a sort of sense that it's out of control again. The government isn't really on top of these sorts of things. And, you know, the public aren't like politicians. They don't think of, they don't have to be, always consistent it is perfectly possible for people to say to pollsters yeah i support this but then actually be incredibly angry about where they are with things so i would think what people would start to do now is they sort of desperately think about 
how on earth are we going to get out of this? Is they'll start to look to Starmer as a potential viable alternative for the first time. Again, during wave one, people thought any mistakes the government made, well, to be honest, it was so new, they'd cut them some slack over it. Days have now gone. People are going to be picking over decisions. They're going to be much more upset about things like the, the testing and tracing scheme not working perfectly. So, yeah, I think for the first time, the government is going to be under very, very serious pressure. Is it a problem that the Tories are doing apparently quite well in the headline polls, that, you know, they're neck and neck with Labour, despite, you know, being midterm, being in the middle of a massive crisis, having been in office for a long time? As a result, they're still slightly trying to play politics as usual, if you know what I mean. You know, we'll just get through this and we'll get through, you know, and then we'll get on to our planning reforms and our foreign policy changes and our defence spending reforms. And, all that. and that actually, it's not politics as usual. And actually, if they were miles behind, they might just do the right thing rather than the sort of political chicanery we've seen a bit more in recent weeks. I think unquestionably... Um, they thought of this as being a, a sort of separate, a separate, uh, discrete policy area that needed handling on its own. Um, and I think in some ways the public probably thought of it along the same lines. As you say, let's just get through this and then we can move on. But as I say, once the public starts questioning government competence, which again, I think they will for the first time, there, nothing else really matters. Then, then the benefit of the doubt is lost on every single other policy that you have. So then actually, um, you know, lack of progress on the things that you mentioned, anything from planning to Brexit to everything else starts being seen through that prism of a lack of competence. And, you know, we all know that the that Boris's biggest vulnerability always has been this has been this question around competence. It's always it's dogged him since forever. A lot of it's unfair and, and it relates to his just his general style, his sense of humour, his way of doing politics. Uh, but it doesn't matter what the causes are people are now going to start questioning that properly for the first time. And people talk about an ERM moment. They're always looking for that moment from the past that they can they can bring forward to the modern day to, to, to frame everything through. But nonetheless, there is a danger, I think, that, uh, that competence is questioned on such a scale that you just can't make progress elsewhere. You're just not getting a, a, a straight hearing. You know, now Starmer is not, Otto von Bismarck, but nor is he an idiot. And the public are going to just look at this guy that's perfectly solid, mainstream sort of guy, uh, doesn't seem to make mistakes, handled the crisis, the, anti the, the, um, the anti-Semitism crisis in the week pretty well. Uh, and I think people will start to view him as a, as a credible alternative prime minister. They may ultimately decide he's not the right guy, but I think they will start looking at him much more, much more closely. I think where... The, the sort of more alarming fact, but this is, this is not where public opinion is at the moment, is that the British government doesn't seem able to create and implement a uniquely British policy. It seems that we are always essentially a few weeks behind where France and Germany is. And I think it, it almost feels as if the only person that can lead out of the misery that we're in now is Angela Merkel, because... You know, she is somebody that's got the confidence to create and drive through a policy. She'll just go for it. She'll carry public opinion Germany with her along the way. Um, and everybody else follows from that point. And it, it does feel that we don't have that sort of, as I say, unique British policy that we are prepared to, 
uh, create and push through. And that, to me, feels like a uh, great vulnerability uh, for the government. Do you think that's in part because she is a pretty straight, not terribly exciting uh, politician, but actually in a time of crisis, that's sort of what you want. And actually, Boris Johnson's moment has just come at the wrong time. You know, the, if you look back through the... He's, he, you know, he. Everyone says he's a, he's an optimist and he likes to do sunshine. All politicians like to do good news if they can, but he seems particularly kidding on that. But you know, in March it was turn the tide in twelve weeks. In May it was near normality by the end of July. In July it was significant normality by Christmas, and now it's very different and better by spring. And that actually, that's not just about a communications thing. If your entire sort of um, outlook on life is it will all be all right in the end quite soon it means you don't take things seriously it means you don't take tough decisions now if you can take the tough decisions later and then that so so what start sunny optimism as a sort of political personality actually ends up affecting policy as well it's unquestionably now become a problem um that we've kept saying as you said that things are going to get back to normal pretty quickly and then they don't that we hopefully will have normality by Christmas and then we get we get the very opposite. And he is clearly, you know, as a character, very prone to being, te- you know, terribly optimistic about things and thinking the best for everything. And that, that absolutely has its place. And I think, you know, during the referendum, that optimism about Britain's future, you know, really, really hit home and I think was fantastic. And honestly, I think in the early days of this crisis, when there was a need to keep people, you know, optimistic and behind the lockdown and all the rest of it i think that that worked out really well as well but i think at this point now it's starting to to get it's starting to grate a little because people no longer believe fundamentally that that's that's where we are and yes as you've said by reeling off that list of uh times when they've had to dial it back um i I think unquestionably that's now going to start being quite being quite damaging uh, well, that was James Fain uh, from uh, the firm Public First, which has carried out lots of work for uh, Downing Street in the early stage of the pandemic. He also knows Dominic Cummings well, giving his assessment of the impact of all of this on uh, the Prime Minister uh, politically. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box podcast. Uh, you can now listen back to my whole show on the Times Radio app, where you can also now listen to all of the Times podcasts, including Red Box 2. Make sure you subscribe and review at the Red Box podcast wherever you listen. But for now, from me, Matt Chorley, it's goodbye.